Welcome to Doggy Dish, where two of LA's best dog trainers serve up a hearty helping of dog topics. At the end of this podcast, we'll provide information on how to contact our trainers. And now, here they are. Hi, this is Laura Berhini from Animal Attraction Unlimited. And I'm Kim Reinhart with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. Thank you for joining us today. And we're doing the second part of Fear and Reactivity. Fear, shyness, and reactivity. Yes, we are. And I think the reason that I wanted to do a two-parter here is because I kind of wanted to give people an outline of the things that you wouldn't want to do. Okay. We're not here to really outline specific protocols. protocols it's right. very difficult to out, outline protocols for something like a shyness or, or fear issue for the simple reason that you could, if you do it wrong, you can make things worse. But what we're trying to do is give people ideas for things that if they try them, this is why it could be worse. And right. this is how you might do it in a way that's not going to make things a lot worse. So we're not trying to leave you half <laughs> half educated here, except in a way we are, because most fear issues are best handled by somebody qualified to really assess your dog and mm-hmm. figure out what's going on, especially if you think your dog could take it to the place of getting aggressive. Mm-hmm. So we were talking a little bit about ways to ways to work on this without overpressuring the dog and possibly either making it worse or creating a situation where somebody might get bitten. Right. And ideally, whenever you're working on something where the dog is reactive, whether it's fear or aggression or however you want to label it, we you want to keep the dog what's called what we call sub threshold, meaning we want to keep the dog from going to the reactive place. We don't want to, while we are working to try to fix the problem, we want to keep them from reacting, from growling, from barking. So I think that's a really good way for people to to think about it, to help keep them from, from getting into a bind and doing it wrong because I think that people tend to think that in order to fix a problem, the problem has to occur. Yeah, I think there's two ways that people deal with this. They either... As you say, they put the dog in a situation where they can get that response because otherwise they don't think they can work on it. Right. Or they avoid it completely and keep the dog completely out of that situation and protect the dog and overprotect the dog to the place where the dog actually never has to work on any of its issues at all, which unfortunately just leaves that situation simmering and in some ways can make it grow because the dog never has to even be vaguely uncomfortable. So as a trainer... When you say uh, sub-threshold, what, what you're really looking for is keeping the dog in a situation where he's a little, it's pushing in a little bit on but his But not going to the zone, full edge of. But not going to the place where he reacts in a, in a really negative fashion. Right. So like as a trainer, if I were to go to somebody's house and let's say their dog guarded his food bowl. So I'm just giving an example of sub-threshold. A dog guards his food bowl. Right, they, The dog is eating out of the food bowl and they can't pet the dog while he's eating because the dog will go off on them or snarl at them. I don't need, in order to fix the problem, I don't need to go in there and elicit the behavior, pet the dog while he's eating to see it in order to fix the problem. I ideally want to start from the basics and start working my way up so that it becomes a good thing for the dog and so that I never see the problem. I never want to see nasty face out of the dog and so while I'm a, working on the problem. And so from a shyness perspective, this might be if I have a dog that barks 
and gets really excitable on the end of the leash when he sees strangers, I might try to pay attention to where is it that I can be that the dog does not respond that way from a stranger. And I might move just a tiny bit inside of there, just a tiny bit, utilizing some kind of protocol to help the dog, whether it's working with redirecting or their attention with the leave it or whether it's, yeah, if I'm working with a trick to try to help increase the dog's um, confidence. Your face if, just totally went blank there. I, I know, felt like I had to jump in and help you out. I don't know what's going on here. Or if it's, you know, I'm trying to teach the dog or I'm trying to distract the dog so that the dog has something else to focus off for just a second. I might step into that area for just a second. And then take the pressure off active, and step out. And then take the pressure off. And then step in. You and don't give step something in and stay there for positive. 20 minutes. No, and give right. the dog something positive. So I might step in, give him a hot dog, step out. Step in, give him a hot dog, step out. Or step in, ask him to do something, give him a hot dog, step out. And that's the kind of thing I don't think so many. And that's the kind of thing that I'm going to do to try to help the dog stay at that level that is workable for him. Because mm-hmm. really, at the point that you allow them to go off like a Roman candle, you've you, just taken two steps forward and one step back. Well, and not only that, you know, do you learn really well when you're in a blind panic? I mean, it's really counterproductive for him to be in that state of overexcitement in, from just the terms of learning. Because we don't learn at our best when we're completely engrossed in a, in a high emotional state. Right. You know what this reminds me of is, you know, you remember the TV show Fear Factor? Mm-hmm. You know, some of those situations that they put those people in, mm-hmm. it's like I couldn't be in those situations for some of them for any length of time. Mm-hmm. Others of them I could have tolerated no problem. Others of them I may have tolerated for, again, back to the tarantulas, okay? Uh, Right now you show me a tarantula tarantula, and I would say, well, there's no way you're going to put a tarantula on me, but, okay, if there's money at the end of the deal, maybe I can handle it for two seconds. Okay, I can handle it for two seconds. On your hand. On on my hand. But if you put it on my face. Right. If somebody lets it continue to crawl up closer to my face or it starts moving around... What I may have handled for two seconds, now you're pushing me to the limit. Right. And even even if it didn't move, if it stayed on my hand, I could handle it for two seconds. But if it starts to get to 20 seconds or 30 seconds, I'm just not going to be able to handle it. And that's kind of how I look at this. So they may be able to work the dog's sub-threshold, but like you're saying, you put them in it for a little bit and then you take them out of it. You relieve the pressure. You have to relieve the pressure. Otherwise, the dog may be doing okay you know, in that area for a little bit of time people tend to think that well he's doing okay i'm going to keep him here i'm going to keep him here i'm going to keep him here until the dog has no choice but to explode right well it actually it goes back to what i was saying about having somebody come in talk to me pay no attention to the dog look at the dog for one second toss a hot dog and turn around and walk away right that's what we're doing we're bringing that dog into that discomfort level for just a second but we're rewarding them for not responding because we really haven't given an opportunity to respond we don't wait until they respond to reward them we we throw that exactly at that second where we know oh that's going to make them uncomfortable and then we remove the pressure we get the person out of there right now you turn around and walk away don't stand there talking to the dog don't do those things 
That's what you're doing. You're always, you have to think about it in terms of what are the parts of this that make the dog uncomfortable. Some of it has to do with how close the person is. Some of it has to do with how much attention is the person paying to, to the dog. Mm-hmm. Some of it has to do with what's the size of the person. What are their body movements like? How low or loud are they? Mm-hmm. Or low is their voice or loud is their voice or shrill right. is their voice. There's all of these factors that weigh in on this situation that all cause discomfort. And typically when you go in and you talk to a client about this, they'll say, oh, no, he just reacts to everybody. But you have to start really paying attention to what are the things he tolerates better than others. And that's how you set up your training. You set up your training so that you are always doing that balancing act. That's why it's best to work with a professional trainer when you're working with a situation like this because it's a bit of a balancing act. And in the beginning, you need somebody to help you realize, okay, these are the things that are really strong for him. These are the things a little less strong for him. These are the things that, eh, they make him a little uncomfortable, but they aren't terrible. And you have to start working with those things in increments that the dog is going to succeed at. And one one bit at a time. Right. Not... You don't Not change. multiple things right. at a time. So like, okay, let's say I could tolerate one tarantula on right. my hand for two seconds, but you put two tarantulas on my hand for two seconds, or you, put, or, or you put, okay, and maybe you put two tarantulas and you'd be okay on your hand, but you're not going to put one on your hand and one on your head. You may right. be okay for me to put one on your head and nothing on your hand, right. but to take two of them and put one of them on your head and one of them on your hand may be too much may, for you. Right. Yeah. Right. So you only work on one piece of it at a time. Right. You start, and you don't necessarily say, because I was successful with that one piece, I can now add to that piece. You might go back and work on a different piece of the puzzle. So let's, let's take the thing of the tarantula. Please don't respond. I don't, we haven't worked together, so I'm (laughs) sure, sure it wouldn't work for you. But just a hypothetical for you with the tarantulas. Okay. So I've gotten Laura to the place where she can hold the tarantula on her hand because we've been working on it. And in the beginning, it was only for the count of three and then you had to take it off. But now we've gotten to the place where we can put a tarantula on her hand. And as long as it stands still, it can be there for the count of 20. Okay. So then I might get a tarantula that stands still moves just a little bit and we take it off immediately well we didn't get up to the count of 20 maybe that only took to the count of five but you know what she's not ready for it to walk for 20 seconds just because she was ready for it to stand still for 20 seconds she might if we were going to put two on her hand we wouldn't want two that we're going to move we're going to have to take pieces and just because okay let's say she got through the place where i put it on her hand and it was able to move for five seconds and then i was able to take it off then I wouldn't add two, and one could move for five seconds. Right. I might add two, but now they're just standing still. It's it's one of those things that you just want to take pieces of the puzzle and add them in, and you ha- and the, you have to go slowly because see here's because you the realize thing. I'm trying I'm starting to hyperventilate. Okay. <laughs> just just thinking. just thinking about it. Just thinking about it. Remember, we haven't done this work. I did tell a client of mine when we were talking about something like this, and she has a, a really bad fear of snakes, and I said. I could get you to not be afraid of snakes. It would take a long time. Oh, no, 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 you couldn't. Yeah, I really could. I really could. But we would have to go so slowly that it would be sneaking up on you. You'd be like, oh, I didn't realize how much more tolerant I am today than I was six months ago. It would it would be that slow. It'd be, it would be almost as if you would be going so slowly that they didn't realize what kind of – same with you and the tarantulas. I'm yeah. Sorry. Although I wouldn't even bring a tarantula into your house right now. But you, you know show I mean? me a picture of a tarantula first. Yeah. But but that's what I'm saying. It it'd be one of those things that you could teach anybody, really, with these methods. And it's so much fairer than just taking something out, putting it in a situation where it's terrified, 
freaking it out more and shutting it down completely. Mm-hmm. Because once you go to that place, there's no recovery in that training session. You really, it's useless. Well, and beyond that, you know, could I interest anybody out there listening and being taught something or having to face a fear like that? You know what? We're just going to take you and whatever you're afraid of, we're just going to drop you. Okay, you're afraid of snakes. We're going to drop you into a pit of snakes. By the it's time you get flooding. out, by the time you get out, you'll be okay. Well, no, you might eventually learn to stand still or you might go mad. It's hard to know. It's kind of yeah. a crapshoot, but you might be eventually get to the place where you could stand still in there, but you would be catatonic. Yeah. You wouldn't be better. You'd just be shut down. Yeah. You'd and just, that's and shut down is not the same thing as fixed, right? And that's what what flooding does a lot of the time is it shuts down behavior, and it can also be called learned helplessness. And there the can animal be, learns that there's just nothing they can do about it. And listen, there can be situations where flooding is not a bad idea, especially in a situation where you're not trying to get something to like something or anything. You're just trying to you are just trying to shut down a response. There are situations, but they're few and far between. And I think that. When you're talking about something like a dog that's shy or, or, or fearful or apprehensive about being around people and you want him to eventually be okay with people, you can see where shutting him down is not going to be the key to getting him to be okay. It might get him to stop doing a particular behavior, but is it eventually going to turn him into a well-adjusted pet? Happy dog. A dog that was okay about being in the proximity of people. It's... There's no way. If, yeah. And it may go the other way around. It may send him over the edge. Mm-hmm. It may send him further into that behavior to the point of being absolutely uncontrollable. Right. Because like we said, sometimes it, you know, suppresses behavior and it either comes out with a vengeance later, you know, and, and by that time you've kind of probably already gotten rid of all the warning signs because the dog has learned that those warning signs don't work anymore. They don't matter. So when it comes out, it's a big explosion. And what, um, what may have been just reactivity before can now turn into worse, like a bite. Like, or worse, like a, an attack, an extended mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, so um, if you have a dog that you think is, that you've noticed is kind of shy around people and uncomfortable. I have a dog. Listen, my young dog, Flirt, interesting that her name is Flirt because she can be equally flirty. She can be, in the wrong set of circumstances, she can get nervous. If she gets into a situation where she's in a closed space, where she's not accustomed to it, and she's uncomfortable in the space, let's say, and then somebody comes in, they focus a ton of attention on her, and they back her into a corner or something, she can get really nervous. And and I have to say, that's for me to work on, and I do. But it's a slow process. It's not going to go away tomorrow. She's not going to all of the sudden, because I forced her to deal with it, be okay with it. Now, what I can do is I can get her to stand still and to deal with something. Mm -hmm. But because I would like her to just eventually be comfortable, I'm taking a, a slightly different road than just shutting her down and making her stop. However, I have to say, I had a very fearful poodle when I was younger, and he was afraid of people, and he was really weird about people. People would come up on him, and he would shrink back, and he had the potential to become a fear biter, definitely. In fact, his brother did. His brother uh-huh. went to another place, and then later I learned about his brother, and his brother did. And when he was very young, I would literally just hold his mouth and tell people, come up and pet him, because right. he actually did love attention. 
Okay, there was a method there. There, The dog truly loved attention. And when he learned that if he stood still, he got attention, eventually he learned to move into people to get that attention. Because it was, in the end, what he wanted. I'm not sure what he was fearful of. But, like, with Flirt, that's not the case with her. Again, that's somebody who knows the dog really well and knows how to assess what's going on with the dog. It's not something that I would necessarily use with every dog. But I certainly would never choose to just... Freak them out. Startle them. My first dog was very fearful, and um, I wouldn't say reactive because he wouldn't stand there and bark at somebody, but he would bark as he was running away to hide under the bed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, but what happened was that he learned to love latex squeaky toys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was much better with women. You know, women were pretty much instantly his friend, except for my sister who kept trying to trying to make friends with him by looking at him and sticking her hand out and talking softly to him, which of course made him feel like, not that I could read his mind, but, pressure. but in my, it's pressure. yeah, it's, it's pressure. And also she, she must have some ulterior motive because she's <laughs> trying really hard to be my friend. Whereas he was the kind of dog that if you ignored him, he would be more likely to come up to you on his own. But he was, he was much more fearful of men. So once we figured out that he really loves latex squeaky toys, if I put him out in the open, like my parents live out in the forest and, and yes, they're lumberjacks, <laughs> but no, he would play. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, okay. but, but he would play with his, with, he would play fetch with, with somebody, with a man with his latex squeaky toy uh-huh. because he knew that there was some place for him to run to. He knew that he wasn't confined. He knew he wasn't trapped. So they could tell him to sit, tell him to lie down. He would do all of that. They could throw his toy. He would run and get it come wagging back to them, throw the toy at them, back up a couple of feet, and then they could pick it up and have him do it again. Mm -hmm. But if they tried to corner him or to, you know, get him to suddenly be their friend, then he would think that something was up. And it took a couple of years. I mean, I didn't have him as a puppy, so Mm -hmm. it took a couple of years for him to go, oh, people aren't that bad. Right. Yeah. What I wanted to accomplish when we first started talking about this was to get people to realize that what starts out as just the dog being uncomfortable and reactive has a lot of roads that it can go down. Mm-hmm. It can get better. It can get worse. And what you do can influence whether it gets better or gets worse. If you have a dog that typically this happens with small dogs that is fearful and reactive or shy and reactive as a young dog and whenever it gets worried or gets a little bit fearful looking, the people grab it up and hold it and try to make it okay. Or even a larger dog where they say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, come on, and they get it real close to them. That can really create a problem Mm -hmm. with shy behavior because now you have a dog that can feel backed up, can feel, when I say backed up, I mean they can feel backed. They can feel like you've got my back. Like now you're a team. I'm tougher. We're, We're a lot tougher as two of us and than we were as one, and that can turn into a, a snapping, biting behavior. Right. Well, that's like the Border Collie mix that I was mentioning that was on a leash next to them, and the dog would snarl, growl, lunge, whatever, bark, and they would pull the dog closer to them. Right. And pet her. Right. To try to calm. And the petting was kind of that frantic, Yes. you know, petting. Yes. It wasn't even a calming sort of petting. It was a nervous pet. Yes, which brings another thing. Or which brings up another thing that plays into this, which is how nervous do you get when this happens? Mm-hmm. Because There's stress in your voice. There's stress in your body. That's right. You have to learn to be very calm and very controlled. And the way to get that calmness is to have a plan, 
a solid plan with solid ideas of how you are going to progress. And if you keep the dog, again, at, at sub-threshold, it's a lot easier for you to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Because when the dog crosses over that threshold and becomes aggressive, your anxiety skyrockets. But if you have a conf- if you have a concrete plan, a solid plan for how to keep that dog sub-threshold and still get somewhere, and you know how you're going to react in different sets of circumstances, this is why working with a trainer can be so helpful, and you have a very clear idea of how you're going to react in various situations, then you tend to be able to stay calm. Because right. I work with people who say, well, it's really hard to stay calm. Well, it's not really hard to stay calm if we keep your dog where your dog needs to be, which is we keep working towards successes. If we keep him at a sub-threshold level and we keep building on our successes Mm -hmm. and you start to know, okay, if I'm doing something and somebody else comes in and starts to add pressure, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn around and walk out. And relieve the pressure, have I have a solid plan. You're going to find it's a lot easier for you to stay calm Mm -hmm. in that situation than if you're just – you have your plan, but you <laughs> you haven't planned for any kind of contingencies, mm-hmm. and something happens, and you're like, okay, what do I do now? And if you're going to do something like that, even if you don't have a trainer with you, if you have somebody with you who knows what to look for, if you're going out in public somewhere, then you can then you have another set of eyeballs that is watching the people around you, so that you are watching your dog and your dog's reactivity level, your dog's body language, stuff like that, and you have another set of eyeballs that's going, oh, there's a bicycle coming up behind you. Mm-hmm. You know, or there's somebody coming like between the cars over there or something so that you can then maneuver yourself out of the way so that you're not having to take your eyes off of your dog for very long to manipulate where you are and your distance from other things. But this did while you were talking. It reminded me of when you take your dog out and you're working your dog on something, again, to that you want to keep them sub-threshold. You want to keep them to where they're not in that position for so long that they end up reacting because then what happens is like I said there's really no graceful way to get out of it Mm -hmm. and so then you end up leaving on a bad note and then the next time you go out it happens again Mm -hmm. and then the next time you go out it happens again and then so that what's starting to happen is the dog is predicting that every time we go out it ends with me being reactive Mm-hmm. So then the dog can actually start to get nervous from the second he steps into a situation. You change his threshold. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you you, changed, ex- you right. almost make it impossible to stay mm-hmm. sub-threshold. Right. Because, because as soon as you pull into wherever you are, the dog starts mm-hmm. to go, oh, my God, we're going to the, uh, we're going on that training thing, and it always ends badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is scary for me. Mm-hmm. I don't like this. I already know in advance I don't like this, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be defensive because I know it's going to happen. If you have a dog that you, ha- that you think is fear-aggressive, First of all, when you seek out a trainer, you're going to want to try to find somebody who has an understanding of the difference between reactivity and shyness and true fear aggression. You're going to want to try to deal with somebody who has a pretty good experience level Mm -hmm. dealing with this. Because unfortunately, in the case of the lady that, that I was originally talking about when we started this, I think that she's with a trainer who really doesn't understand the behavior. Yeah. She doesn't understand where it's coming from. She doesn't understand what it's leading to. She's not really taking the time to figure it out. She just has a formula yeah. that she learned. Yeah, it's a cookie-cutter method. Yes, a formula for dealing with something. And she's decided that that's going to work in this situation. She probably doesn't have enough experience to really understand that her formula could really backfire 
it could lead to a lot of different places, and many of them are things that they don't want to happen. And then when she does get qualified help, the lady does get qualified help, it's going to take so much longer. And the likelihood of really fully coming out of that is not as great as if they hadn't tried all of these things. You know, when you talk to somebody, when you when you talk to a trainer about these kinds of situations and you talk to them about what your dog is doing, they should... I think a good trainer, first of all, is going to want to see your dog because in situations of shyness or fear, I learn a lot more by what I see than what somebody tells me. Oh, yeah. There are plenty of times that we get phone calls from somebody and what they're describing over the phone, and then we get there, and it's not at all what what they thought they were seeing. So I'm, I'm when I'm on the phone with somebody like that, I'm very unlikely to try to spell out what I'm going to do for them because I don't know exactly. Yeah. I say, well, this is what it sounds like, but I really want to see it. I ask a ton of questions, which you probably do do. You probably ask a ton of questions Mm -hmm. about how does it sound? What does it look like? When does this happen? Is there this? And keep in mind what I was saying earlier about, you know, I ask people if, or maybe I said this on part one, um, I ask people, well, when is he the most reactive versus less reactive? Oh, no, he's like this about everybody. That almost is never the case. Right. Right. That is almost never the case. And if, like, let's say I'm talking to somebody on the phone and the problem sounds, you know, pretty severe, but it's going to be a couple weeks before we can get our schedules together and I can meet with them, then I will tell them a couple of things to do to help keep the dog out of trouble until I get there because I don't want the dog to continue to do the behavior. So it's similar to what we're talking about. I'm not going to give them a protocol of what no, right. to do as far as solving the problem, but I want to keep the dog out of trouble. Out of trouble. Exactly. And we've talked about several things to keep him out of trouble here. Yeah. I mean, I think we have not really gone into a protocol, but we have talked about things that could be a potential problem. Mm-hmm. Many trainers will have you come up and try to and try to have strangers give your dog food. And honestly, if that's not done in an exactly correct yeah. manner, it, you're setting your dog up to fail. You're right. setting your dog up to get in a sticky situation. And you might have 10 people give your dog food and the dog's fine. And on the 11th person, that 11th person is making your dog really uneasy. And you've not even looked for the signals because you think, oh, he's doing better. And then the person hands him the food. The dog grabs the food and then grabs the person. Right. Yeah. But it's been building. Because the ninth and 10th person he was getting a little bit nervous, or the 8th, ninth, and 10th person he was getting a little bit right. nervous, but it was still worth him to go up and take the food. And then the 11th person, he just got pushed over the threshold. Yeah. And he's formulating a plan. To the some tarantula degree, was on him for way too long. Yeah. To some degree, he's trying to figure out, you know, this is making me really uncomfortable. What can I do about it? What can I do about it? What can I do about it? So anyway, this hopefully gives people an idea of how to deal with shyness. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Nope. Oh, there was one more thing. Okay. Of course, I have something else to talk about. Um, Kim's never finished. Shyness with other dogs. Because we've we've focused primarily on shyness with people. And we really haven't talked a lot about shyness with other dogs, and I don't want to get into it. It's too late. I do, though, want to make the point, as I have made on others, as you have made on others that we've talked about, but it cannot be made enough. If your dog is uncomfortable around other dogs, he has a right to be. So... While you can lessen reactivity, while you can help him become more confident, having the expectation that your dog is going to drop his trepidation about other dogs and become really gregarious and friendly and sociable is an unrealistic and unfair 
expectation, in my opinion. Yeah, I've heard people say, my dog is really shy of dogs, so I've been taking him to the dog park, and he just sits underneath the bench and growls at everybody and snarls at every other dog that comes up. How can I make him like it? Or remember when we mentioned flooding? Or or they don't even take him to the dog park, but they say, you know, he's just, he hates other dogs, and he's so reactive, and he does this, and he does that. And, you know, our dream is that we take him to the dog park, and he runs and plays like other dogs. Well, I'm doubting that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's a possibility, but it's rare. I don't see it. Right. It's like I'm the person in the corner at a party who just likes to sit there and people walk watch and don't. I don't want anybody to come up and talk to me. Right. You know, unless I already know them. Right. But it's the kind of the same thing. I'm not, I'm not going to be the person who's suddenly going to be gregarious. It's really stressful for me. It's right. really exhausting right. for me to do that. So you might go out and learn skills about how to handle that as and be as comfortable as possible. But we're not going to fundamentally and I would do it one change. person at a time. Right. right, but we're not going to fundamentally change who you are. Right. We're not going to turn you into a new person. Poof, you're a new person now. And with the dogs, that's what we're trying to do. At least if it was you, you would be going out and trying to figure out how to deal with this problem if you were to seek some kind of whatever, social training or whatever. If you there was something that you were doing, maybe you wanted to start. I need social training? No, maybe you were going to start to do, <laughs> like, uh, speaking, though, or, you know, Oh, my God. Okay, hyperventilate, okay. hyperventilate. Yeah. Okay, but maybe if you decided that you wanted to do that, you might go out and start going into classes and stuff to try to change. But you have to I'll remember something about dogs. I'll become a Toastmaster. I'll join to... Toastmasters. <laughs> but you have to remember something about dogs. Dogs don't even choose this path. We're choosing it for them. So the likelihood that they're going to go from, I'm really uncomfortable with other dogs, or I'm really shy, I'm really fearful, I'm really reactive to other dogs, to, now I love other dogs, and right. I just want to be the life of the party right. and take it would me be... to the dog park. The more dogs that are around, the happier I am. Yeah. It's fairly unrealistic. Right. Not even fairly. It's very unrealistic. And it could happen. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm never going to say that. But they aren't going to be making a conscious decision, whereas if I did something like joining Toastmasters, yeah. I would be making a conscious decision, okay? Self-improvement time. What am I going to do this year for my New Year's resolution? I'm going to become more comfortable with public speaking yes. or large crowds or whatever. I have a then seri- I'm making a conscious decision. I have a serious fear of drowning. I'm seriously afraid of drowning. I, I go in pools and, and I've gone water skiing, but I am really I can get really psyched up about drowning, about water, and the ocean specifically. I went out and became certified as a scuba diver. But that was the conscious choice. That was something I decided to do. It was nothing that anyone pushed me into. And, and by the way, when somebody was trying to push me into doing that, I didn't want to do it. And right. I resisted like crazy. And you resented them for it? Of course. Yeah. And it made our relationship difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think that's maybe the most significant part is that it caused a, a rift in our relationship because I felt so pressured to do something that was really, really uncomfortable for me. So when it comes to shyness and other animals, maybe – you know, adjust your expectations to something that is realistic for your dog and fair. You know, so Don't just make arbitrary decisions because you want him to. I knew somebody who wanted her dog to learn to retrieve because she she thought he would enjoy it, and she used punishment to try to get him to retrieve. And this was because she wanted him to retrieve because she thought he would enjoy it. Yeah, I have to say that anytime you start choosing something for your dog to do, there are things that they have to do. Recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Re- recall has just never been an option, you know, 
to do anything but a recall. But when it comes to things that you're doing for, and you've decided that you want your dog to not only accept them but to enjoy them, you really have to take a step back and think about yourself and think if you were put in the same set of circumstances, something that's maybe not that comfortable for you. How much is someone going to make you enjoy it? It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So that does it for shyness. Yes. I'm Kim Reinhardt with Ain't Misbehaving Canine. And Laura Berheny from Animal Attraction Unlimited. Thank you again for joining us. Take care. You have been listening to Doggy Dish, a podcast series about dog training and other related issues. To suggest a topic for a future segment, please email us at dogdishtopics at yahoo.com. To learn more about our featured trainers, Or if you're interested in training for your own dog and you live in the Los Angeles area, you may contact Laura or Kim directly. To speak with Laura, call 818-800-4818 or visit her website at www.petdogtrainer.com. To speak with Kim, call 818-890-1133 or visit her website at www.beagooddog.com. Thank you for listening.